It's time for ROTD Weekend. I have always loved learning about food and cooking. I've told you before that I used to spend countless hours drinking tea in my Baba's kitchen, talking about techniques, things she'd made, things she'd discovered. I was thinking about that because I told you a little bit about it last week. And I was wondering if people who don't know very much about cooking or even who do know a lot about cooking but aren't like as curious about it as I am, if they were listening to one of these conversations, would they just think that we were being dull or boring or excessively intricate about the details. Or maybe the topic is actually boring and I'm just a little nuts because I want to dig into every aspect of it. I'm not really sure, but I was thinking about it a lot a couple weeks ago. Marty and I went to a really cool lecture slash foraging event. It was held at Mead Gardens in Winter Park or Orlando nearby. And it was being put on by this guy who's like business name is Fungi John, F-U-N-G-I-J-O-N. I guess Fungi John, Funky John, something like that. I'm not really sure how he would pronounce it, but it was really intense. He talked with like PowerPoint slides for over three hours. And at first when I got there and I realized that we weren't going to be out foraging and looking for mushrooms and just listening to him talk, I was like, oh my God, three hours? How is this possible? But you know what? It was so fascinating. We went into all of the potentially dull, boring, excessively intricate details. I learned more about mushrooms, how they're identified, how to find them, how to plan a good like mushroom foraging walk, how to identify and make sure that you don't have a poisonous mushroom. It turns out that there are three deadly poisonous varieties of mushrooms in Florida. So if you're going to go out mushrooming, you really need to know what to avoid, right? There was just so much information. And then at the end of it, we actually went out into the gardens and looked for mushrooms. And the group of us found, I think, eight or 10 different varieties. We found some bolites. We found some honey mushrooms. Uh, we found something that's probably related to that deadly Florida mushroom. It was fascinating. It was a blast. I'm not sure if I am actually ready to go out foraging, finding mushrooms and eating the ones that I find. I think I'm too much of a beginner and I would want to go maybe back out with Funky John sometime and like go on a proper foraging walk and try to find them. But one of the things that I found out about during his talk and looking at like how his whole business works and everything is that they sell mushroom growing kits. And one of the kinds that you can get is for these blue oyster mushrooms that you grow in your house yourself. I am totally going to do that. I am super excited about it. May I'm going to wait because I think you know I'm heading to Italy to meet up with my parents soon. And also we have an exchange student coming from France for like 10 days. There's just a lot going on in the next little while. But I think like mid-November, I'm going to start growing some mushrooms. Then I will for sure know that there is nothing deadly in my batch of mushrooms because they are all of that same like spore group, same variety. It'll be safe. It'll be really fun and delicious. And it will give me another topic that I can talk to people about in dull, boring, and extremely intricate detail, right? 
rest assured, there will be more mushroom talk in this podcast. That's guaranteed. So I am excited to get to continue to have intricate conversations with other culinary professionals about things that they are passionate about in the food world. And as you know, we have changed how we're doing those interviews on this show. And so last week was the first one. This week is the second one where my guest is surprising me with a secret recipe of the day. So they are going to be telling me how to make something that they love. It can be their recipe that they created or it can be one from a book or somebody else or a grandparent from any anywhere, a recipe that they love, they are going to walk me and you through how to make that recipe. And it is a surprise to me what it is because I don't really want to be heading out and researching and looking for questions about the recipe. I want it to be happening kind of on the fly in that really casual but deep and beautiful way that I've done with my grandmother that I do with my mom, where we just kind of nerd out over finding out something new about a recipe or about cooking something, something we didn't know before. So that is what is happening in just a moment. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine friend of the pod, extremely talented recipe developer and cookbook author and wine pairing expert, Jill Silverman Huff. You can find her work at jillhuff.com. That's J-I-L-L-H-O-U-G-H. And I will link to her cookbooks in the show notes for this podcast episode as well. They include some really beautiful and useful books about cooking and wine pairing that I know you're going to love. And so let us turn to my conversation with Jill and find out what her secret recipe of the day is for us today. Jill, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. I always love talking with you. You know that. (laughs) Um, So we have changed how we're doing the like conversations on this show a little bit. So you are going to be telling me about a recipe in a minute. And I'm very excited because I don't yet know what it is. It's like, surprise Christine with your recipe. Uh, (laughs) So we'll do that. But first, I want to know what's going on. You have a monthly newsletter that goes out twice a month and you send it out to people who subscribe and they get some really great cooking info. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, yeah. So my subscribers get two things a month. One thing they get is kind of a recipe roundup of seasonal recipes. And the other thing they get with about two weeks in between is like a a recipe and a cooking tip. So uh, I will write a newsletter about my most recent one is about fresh herbs, dry herbs, which to use when and why. So it talks all about that. And then there's a recipe to go with it, which is chicken, salt and boca, sage laced. So it uses herb. And so all my newsletters are like that, either a recipe roundup or just a really basic cooking thing. Uh, what kind of pots and pans do you need? What's uh, what's cooking with convection? How to pick a perfect pair was a recent post. Oh. Um, and then a pair, perilicious sort of recipe to go with it. So yeah, so that's um, that's what I do. And anybody who wants to subscribe, I would welcome. And you can, I know you're about to say this part. Should I say this part? Oh, you go. Okay, so and you can go to my website, which is jillhuff.com, H-O-U-G-H, slash subscribe. Yeah, no, and that's so great. So I want to pick your brain. (laughs) For dry herbs, when is your favorite time to, when would you choose a dry herb instead of the fresh herb? Yeah, so the answer is 
seldom. (laughs) 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 I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, I, I really think that that one of the biggest changes in my lifetime as a cook is the availability of fresh herbs. You know, like I when I first started cooking and when my mom and grandma did their cooking, when they needed rosemary, they reached to the cupboard. When I need rosemary, I go in the yard, you know, and I think that our cooking, all of our cooking is so much better for it because herbs have such a like a wider dimension of flavor. You know, like if you imagine like fresh basil versus dried basil, I mean, it's a shadow of its possible self when it's dried. So I could go on and on. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a fan of fresh. And the only time I would use dried is if, you know, if I was out of fresh in a pinch, maybe sometimes when you're cooking, but rarely, maybe sometimes. I love um, herbs de Provence, which mm-hmm. is a dried herb blend. And so I will sometimes reach for that just because it's a, a it's a delicious blend that I like. Mm-hmm. Part of I think what's really great of the 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 new way that I'm doing this show where you're going to talk me through a recipe is that I know everybody does things differently, and that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So in my house, um, so Marty, who you I think you've met Marty before, right? Have, yeah, yeah. So Marty doesn't like herbs at all. He doesn't like seasonings. It's very very challenging. The only things he likes he likes dill and fresh dill. He will tolerate parsley and cilantro and he <laughs> likes chili powder as long as there's not cumin in it, cayenne, paprika, and smoked paprika. That is, I'm not exaggerating, salt and pepper. That is what goes in the food for the most part. And what that <laughs> actually means is that I don't have a lot of fresh herbs because I don't have a lot of use for them. And then when Occasion, he isn't yeah. here and I'm cooking, then I'm turning to dried most often, you know? Uh, unless if I'm doing like a big recipe testing day and then, then I'll buy a whole bunch of herbs. I make sure that I have a bunch of stuff. Now I have yeah. the fresh in the house and I'm snipping them into everything. But in general, I don't have a herb garden or set of herbs because my people don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. And that's definitely one of the drawbacks of fresh. You know, you buy a bunch of parsley and you need a tablespoon of leaves. And so, you know, the rest of it goes bad. Something I started doing the last couple of years is like snipping off the end of the, like you have a bunch of herbs, snipping off the end like you would flowers before you put them mm. in a vase, wash the herbs, wrap them in a paper towel so that the end is sticking out, put it in a tall jar mm. in some water in the, fr- you know, put the, put a, a plastic bag kind of loosely over the mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. contraption and put it in the fridge and they last a super long time. Oh, um, more that. than when I just used to wrap in a plastic, in a, in a paper towel and put them in a plastic bag in the fridge. Mm-hmm. But, but I got to say that I think Going back to what I said about, I think the drawback of fresh herbs is you end up with a lot of leftovers. I also think that's a drawback with dried because, you know, if you don't use that jar within a year, that's going to go to waste too ish. Mm -hmm. But I I hear you. I hear you. I was, I thought you were going to say that with Marty not liking herbs, you use fresh a lot because you can add them at the end, like take out his portion and put in fresh. But yeah, we're leading up to a different conclusion than I thought. I do. (laughs) I do do things. So if I have fresh herbs in the house because I've been doing something like that, I will do like we do a lot of burrito bowl style dinners where because because I have the kids and Marty and Marty doesn't like everything and the kids are they are them you know everybody's having some rice everybody's having some sliced steak everybody's probably going to put some cheese on it but the rest of the stuff you know it's tomatoes cucumbers maybe there's feta cheese maybe there's like depending on where I'm going in the direction and then if I have fresh herbs those are chopped up as part of one of those toppings so that definitely you're right that does happen yeah Okay, well, this is exciting. 
So anybody who wants to get Jill's wonderful cooking tips delivered to their email, jillhoff.com slash subscribe. And now, drum roll. (laughs) Jill, (laughs) what recipe are you telling me about today? Today, I am telling you about herb pumpkin risotto with aged balsamic. Okay. Yes. I I want to hear all about it and I want to eat it. Risotto is one of my favorite things to make on like a date night at home or something because Mm. you're forced to just kind of stand there and you can't get distracted. Is this a stand there and stir risotto? It is. Oh, wonderful. Okay. How do you start with this one? Well, and I want to tell you, so I picked this for a couple of reasons. One is Mm. the pumpkin and we're sort of in pumpkin season here. And the other is just an opportunity to talk about the standing and the stirring and why. And I think a lot of people think that risotto is hard to make. And it's not hard to make, like a monkey could stir. Mm -hmm, (laughs) It's mm -hmm. it's not, right, it's not a challenge. It's just that it takes time and some paying attention, you know, like you're occupied doing something. But I think that sometimes people think that uh, recipes that take a long time equals a hard recipe. And those are two different things. So part of why I picked it is pumpkin, but part of why I picked it is risotto is not hard. (laughs) I, I love that you're saying that. And I will add to that, I think, by saying what can be hard with risotto is figuring out the other things that you're having with it. Because if you are stuck there stirring, then it can be hard to... So it's in that planning of like, what are we having with this risotto? Is there a salad? I'm making that first. You know, is are we having some sliced chicken breast? That has to be like in the oven or ready to go in the oven. I need to know exactly when to put it in. Like whatever that is, that I think is the part that I certainly used to find challenging with making risotto. But I think that could be a big part of it. I hear you. But you could, yeah, like, yeah, you can have perfect. this as dinner, right? Like, you can just have. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So then yeah, you don't have yeah. to do other things. There you go. <laughs> I am writing down so that we don't forget, because you are amazing at this and you have cookbooks all about this. When you are done telling me how to make this, I'm also asking you for a wine pairing. Okay, cool. So have that cool. in mind. That question's coming. Okay. Are you ready to start? Very good. I am. So herbed pumpkin risotto with aged balsamics. It's really a pretty traditionally made risotto. We're going to start, we're going to heat up six cups of chicken or vegetable broth. I generally like to cook with low sodium broths, just like many of us cook with unsalted butter so we can control Mm -hmm. the salt ourselves. Same reason I choose low sodium broths. Okay. So we're going to warm up some broth. Wait, I wonder if this is an issue for this, especially because you're simmering for so long. I think for me, this kind of thing, you can end up concentrating the salt too, right? Like if you if you used a salted broth and it's simmering for a long time, it can end up quite a bit saltier than what you thought at the beginning. So I actually feel like this might even be even more important with risottos, gravies, things like that than with some other things. Yeah. And that said, I'll bring the broth up to the bit lowest simmer and turn it down so it's barely even boiling. So okay. hopefully we're not losing okay. much of it. But true enough, true yeah. enough. Okay, yeah. so bring heat it up and Okay, so then simmer. in an, in another saucepan, um, I'm gonna melt some butter and saute some onion. And when that onion's sort of just starting to get soft, I'll add some diced pumpkin. And normally yeah, so normally I think with a, a risotto you'd let the onion sort of get totally soft, but I'm gonna let it get partially soft. 
soft and put the pumpkin in so that gets soft as well. Do you buy the pumpkin whole and like cube it or something? Or, or Yes, yes. I, I, I assumed this was going to have canned can pumpkin it, in it. I just thought it was going to have canned pumpkin in it. I did not know. Okay, good. So you get like a All sugar right, so pumpkin kind of thing? Let me back up. Yeah, so I get a sugar pie pumpkin. And I also, I chose this because it has pumpkin, but also, I yeah, people don't cook with real pumpkin. And it's just, it's the same diff as cooking like with a butternut squash or something. Same challenge, you know, and, and, and I know just like a butternut squash, a pumpkin can sometimes be challenging to cut into. And you got to scrape it out and all that stuff. So if we want to get to it at some point, we could have tips about that. But it's just like like the squash. And even I find that with most pumpkins, you don't have to peel it like you'd have to peel with the squash because oh. the peel is soft enough that once you, I like to cut it into quarters. So it's kind of manageable pieces, mm-hmm. scoop out the pieces and then dice and and I'll, I'll cut up a little piece. And if it seems like the skin is really tough, a la a butternut squash, then I'll go and take it off with the vegetable peeler. But but normally my experience with most pumpkins, uh, sugar pie is the kind I use most often. Mm-hmm. You don't have to peel. Okay. And so then I'm, I'm thinking if you're using yeah. actual pumpkin, would you toast, yes. would you be, to- would you toast the seeds at the same time? Like you, you're never going to throw out the pumpkin seeds, right? When we carve a pumpkin, we always toast the pumpkin seeds, but it's not as, they're not, they're never as good as the ones you buy at the store. I think because they're like, these aren't the seeds meant to really be seeds and it's hard to get the seed out of the shell. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big saver of the pumpkin oh. seeds. Okay, so you've got your pumpkin. Maybe you peel <laughs> so it. We could talk you... about how do you season them. Okay, go I ahead. I know, I know. Yes. It, it, it's a huge. It's a huge topic. There's a lot to talk about. So, so the pumpkin, <laughs> and you, you've got the pumpkin in like quarter inch, half inch dice. Yep. Like okay. quarter inch dice. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I put, so I'm, I'm adding the pumpkin and some salt and pepper to my saute with mm-hmm. the butter and the onion. And I'm cooking that until it's all kind of tender. And then we sort of put, so, so far adding the pumpkin is the only sort of that it's not a basic risotto mm-hmm. recipe. Mm-hmm. And now we go back to a basic risotto recipe. So now I'm putting in the rice, tossing it around a while, get it, letting it get a little coated in that oil and a little toasted. And then I'm adding wine, stirring, stirring. So many questions. Yep. I have I, th- I love this yes. because this was this is an experiment to see if this works and I was like I don't know if I'm gonna have questions I have so many questions the rice do you care does it have to yes. be arborio or Valencia or can you just get your regular long grain rice and go for it Excellent question. So this and this gets at the heart of why of one of the reasons I picked risotto and what's with all the stirring and the stirring is so hard, but why that stirring is so worth it. So the thing that makes risotto risotto is the rice. So uh, normally what I use is arborio. There's also canaroni, I want to say. There's a couple of other kinds that will work for risotto. But what's important is that these are really short, stubby grains of rice. So quite the opposite of long grain rice. And the fact that they're so short and stubby and starchy is kind of what is what not kind of, it is what makes risotto risotto. And that's why you need all the stirring. And because, so as you're making risotto, right? So I've got to, we, we first put in the rice, we, I mean, sorry, the wine after the rice, stir, 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 the wine kind of cooks off. Then little by little, we're adding broth and stirring. Why can't you just add all the broth? Well, it's because it's the friction of that stirring, kind of the grains rubbing up against each other that rubs their starch off of Mm. each other. And that starch gives itself to the broth. And that's why you end up with a creamy sauce. So you certainly could cook risotto by just pouring in all the broth and letting the rice cook, but you wouldn't get that creamy, 
unctuous, which is to me what makes risotto so swoon worthy, mm-hmm. right? It's so creamy and yummy and there's no cream in it. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. because of the little by little addition of broth and the stirring to allow those grains to rub up against each other and rub the starch off each other and thicken the broth. I did not know that. I mean, I've made risotto a bunch of times and, you know, <laughs> add, add the broth a little bit. I know you have to do that, but I didn't realize that it, because with less broth, the grains are closer together in this mixture. And so right. they're bumping against each other. If you put a ton of broth, then they're just swimming around in there and they're not going to contact. I, that is right. so, so cool. The kind of wine, does it matter what kind of wine you use? No, here? no. Uh, so generally when cooking with wine, if a recipe calls for red, you should red, use red. If it calls for white, you should use white, unless it specifically says so. You don't want to use a sweet wine, but really unless you're buying, unless you're using dessert, like oh, pretty much all wines that you grab off the shelf are going to be dry as mm-hmm. in not sweet wines. Mm-hmm. I always say, uh, you know, you don't want to cook with the wine you wouldn't drink, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, don't use your most expensive wine in your cooking because all of the nuance that makes an expensive wine so special are going to be cooked off in your cooking. So so here I would use a, a white and and ideally you want to use a, the wine that you're going to pair a dish with is a good idea to use in the dish, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's not critical. I would just get asked that. Like I am completely in agreement. You don't use your best wine when cooking this, but I guess my question is, if I was doing this for a special date night and we had a really beautiful bottle of wine that we're going to have with it, would I then use the splash of that wine in the dish to kind of like marry it for later? Or would that it's still just a waste? Use the same variety and don't don't go there. Yeah, I would. The recipe I'm talking about, which serves four to six, uh, needs a cup of wine. And that's like, that's, a, a, that's a good glass, you yeah, know, if not yeah. more. So that you're going to hit that you're going to kill a lot of your bottle. Pour, a lot of your good a, bottle, more of your good bottle than you'd want to, I think. <laughs> pour it into a glass and sip on it while pouring the there cheaper wine into the risotto. Got it. Okay. Go. So open the cheaper bottle. <laughs> and did you toast the rice a little bit in the butter onion before adding the wine or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So most and mostly that it's coated with some of the fat, but then also that it can get a little bit of brown notes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. What's next? So yeah, so now, so we added the wine and now we're adding broth and stirring, stirring, stirring a little at a time. 15 or 20 minutes later uh, is when I would taste it for doneness. And what I want to look for is the grain of rice had no has no chalkiness at the center. If it still does, then more stirring, more broth addition. And sometimes I should say, because you talked about maybe the broth might be concentrated, you know, you might not need all the broth in any given risotto recipe. On the other hand, you might run out of broth. And if you notice you're running out of, if I notice I'm running out of broth, I'll put a kettle of water on. Because that's basically all the broth lost was water, right? Mm -hmm. So you can switch to, you don't want to go to cold water, right? Because you've got this nice uh, cooking uh, starchy situation going on. And so uh, that's why I'll get some hot water going and then add that little bits at a time if need be. I I love that tip. And in fact, it makes me think I I might, I'm on my own for dinner tonight. You know how much I love this, Jill. Mm -hmm. I'm on my own for dinner tonight and I know I have some arborio rice. And so I'm like already thinking about it and I am going to turn the kettle on before I even start because I, I think that's brilliant. I love that. Not a bad. Yeah, never hurts, right? So once, oh, and I should, I should I'm going to back up. In this recipe, when I add the pumpkin, I also add some rosemary. Oh. So it's cooking along here with this. Fresh chopped rosemary. And rosemary is one of those herbs that is so like hearty and woody 
mm-hmm. that it can stand to be cooked all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll help really, you know, soften it and release its flavor. Unlike like if I was going to be adding basil or cilantro, I put it in weight at the end. Mm-hmm. We talked about mm-hmm. fresh versus dry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now all the rice is done. It's soft. So then I'm going to check the consistency of the risotto. I want it to be a little looser than how I want to ultimately serve it. And that's because my last step is going to be that I'm going to add a little bit of butter and some cheese, some grated mm-hmm. Parmesan, and the cheese will sort of firm it up and mm-hmm. thicken it up. So even if like once it's done, I'll be like, okay, but is it as loose as I want? And if not, a little more broth or water. Mm-hmm. And then add in the cheese and maybe a pat of butter and salt and pepper to taste. And then plate it. I'll garnish it with a little more rosemary. So it's an unctuous, creamy, rich, yummy, herby, pumpkin-y mm. bowl of deliciousness, which I which I think is just not possible if you want to do any rose, uh, risotto shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the cherry on top is I drizzle some balsamic vinegar. And there's something to me because risotto is creamy and unctuous and rich and the counterpoint of the light and bright tickle. It's still earthy, right? Because balsamic mm-hmm. vinegar still has some of those deep notes to it. Mm-hmm. But the tickle of the light brightness is a really great juxtaposition. And and you're using like straight up balsamic vinegar, not like a glaze or nothing like that. Just the plain, nice balsamic vinegar. Right. Yeah. This is where I would use a good one, but not necessarily any, any like, yeah, not, not one that's like been sweetened or glazed or reduced or anything. Right. Like it's that. not yeah, a, you're not a adding good a, syrupy. Right. Not a one. syrup. You're not adding something sweet. You're adding richness right. and tang and yeah. depth there. And so you would just drizzle that on top of the portion before serving how much yep. about of the yep. balsamic is going on per person like i mean like is it like a quarter teaspoon or like a tablespoon and a half half a tablespoon maybe half teaspoon, a teaspoon. teaspoon and a half i would think okay just a little drizzle like you would see you know uh olive oil drizzled on top of a soup before you serve it or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that it sounds delicious i want to know wine pairing because oh and i just anybody listening i will put links to jill's wine pairing cookbooks in the show notes she has two of them in there <laughs> i i own them they are beautiful i love them i turn to them for pairing ideas all the time and so pairing expert what is the wine that you would serve with this dish well i was actually talking about this with my husband last night and um he initially suggested a gewurztraminer Mm. which would be a kind of rich white wine that is often a little bit off dry because pumpkin is a little bit sweet and when there's a little bit of sweetness in your food it's good to also have a little bit of sweetness in your wine Mm-hmm. But I say that it's really, even though pumpkin is a little bit sweet, by the time it's cooked on the Parmesan and the rice and the balsamic and the rosemary, this is not really a, a dish that has sweet notes. So I would probably go for a Chardonnay or maybe Viognier, um, both oh. big, rich, white wines to go with a rich, uh, similarly rich, um, but not, right? There's no, there's nothing in here that would call for red notes or a red wine, but mm-hmm. but you do want a, a heavy white. I love that. It, it sounds amazing. And... I don't know why I don't cook with pumpkin. I, I'm I'm just like in this like, uh. <laughs> also, I want to say what I love that you've done here. And I think this is something that as far as I understand it, people in Europe are very familiar with, but people in North America tend not to be. And that is doing pumpkin and even butternut squash in those really savory ways, as opposed mm. to we so mm-hmm. often see like pumpkin soup here is a sweet cinnamon thing or do you know, yeah, do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Instead of being like with... Yeah. 
bacon and sage and like and going in that direction. And so I really part of me was like, oh, no, is this going to go into that cinnamon nutmeg kind of pumpkin risotto? But I'm really happy that it stayed in this like savory, luscious herby place. And I should tell you that the recipe is on my website. So if anybody wants the actual written down recipe, you could go to jillhuff.com and just search for pumpkin risotto. That is perfect. I will actually put that link in the show notes as well so people can find it very easily. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. I loved it. I'm super excited. Thank you for being on the show again, Jill. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I was now I think we're going to both have to go make some risotto because now I'm hungry for it. (laughs) I know. Me too. I'm not I'm not kidding. That is what I'm making for my alone dinner tonight. I'm so excited. You must get always hungry after these conversations. (laughs) Always, always. So I've got to tell you, that evening after talking to Jill, I absolutely did make the pumpkin risotto. I was on my own for the evening, and I ran to the grocery store after talking with Jill, and I got myself a little pie pumpkin. I did cook up those pumpkin seeds in the air fryer, which I think I need to write up as a recipe somewhere, because they turned out great. And I made the pumpkin risotto. I used a Chardonnay in it. It was delicious. I made enough. Like, I didn't do the whole recipe. I did two-thirds, I guess. I made enough for myself for dinner that night and then to have for lunch for a couple of days after. And it really, really was truly delicious. And she was totally right. That balsamic vinegar on the top at the end, a good quality one, was it just brought it all together. So delicious. And the fresh rosemary in there was really great too. I loved everything about it. What I loved the most though was as I was cooking and stirring it, I was remembering Jill telling me why we stir the risotto like that because those grains are bumping against each other. And I was watching it happen and just totally nerding out about learning something new about cooking, which is my favorite thing. It totally is. So I will put uh, Jill's information in the show notes for this podcast episode, but I'm also just going to highlight one of her books for you. As we are in the holiday season and we're entertaining a lot more this time of year, I think you will really love this book. It is called 100 Perfect Pairings, Small Plates to Enjoy with Wines You Love. And that is by Jill Silverman Huff, my good friend. Thank you so much, Jill. Okay, so this is the part of the show where I usually tell you what I'm going to be cooking up this week, testing, developing recipes, and then what is coming up on the sites in the near future. I am not doing any cooking now, though. Actually... Jennifer, my cooking helper, is heading off to Japan for a little while, and then I am going to Italy to meet up with my parents, and so we are just taking a little hiatus from the recipe development, photography, making videos. So I have nothing to say about that right now for you for the next couple of weeks, but I have been pre-doing recipes, videos, photography, all of that, so that there is still new content going up on the sites all the time, and so I can tell you that there are some delicious recipes heading your way. There is this week a wonderful ham gravy. I had not heard about this before, but you know I'm kind of going gravy crazy, entertaining time of the year, all of that. And I posted a couple of gravy recipes on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. If you're looking for me in those places, I am cook the story in all of them. So I posted these gravy recipes and people started asking me about like, how do you make this gravy or have you ever had this gravy? One of them was this ham gravy. 
gravy. And I never thought about making gravy for ham. I usually serve it with like scalloped potatoes or something that's creamy of its own. But now I'm making this from now on. It is so good. You bake your ham, put a little broth in the pan while it's cooking so that the juices are all there and ham flavored. And then you use those as the drippings in the gravy. And uh, unbelievable. So, so good. So that is going live this week. And also, oh yeah, also the boneless turkey breast. Oh my God, it is so, so, so good. I spotted these boneless turkey breasts at the grocery store. They're often found in the frozen section, like a little butterball boneless turkey breast roast. And I was like, I need to know how to make this delicious. And then we can have turkey anytime. And so I actually did it in that same amazing turkey brine that you know I love with the onion and the garlic and all the herbs all pulverized together in the food processor. And then the turkey breast goes in there for just an hour. And then it has skin on it. Like then after that, you take it out and there's skin on it. You rub butter all over the whole thing and roast it. And it is juicy and delicious and tender with crispy skin. I am obsessed. That is also on Cook the Story right now. You've got to check it out. As to what is coming up on Recipe of the Day this week, so many great things. Tomorrow, I'm telling you about the best breaded pork cutlets. I'm doing a microwaved butternut squash, whole butternut squash. And if you are in my Facebook group, the Recipe of the Day Facebook group, and the chat, the What's Cooking chat, you will see somebody posted a picture of their hands after handling a butternut squash. They had the same allergic reaction that I always have. And that is why I don't peel my butternut squash if I can get away with it. I like to cook it whole. And then take the peel off after that seems to get rid of whatever that sap is that a lot of people have that allergic reaction to. Uh, so microwaving butternut squash whole is brilliant. We've got some beef strips, how to cook beef strips. And I've got a panko fried chicken for you this week as well. So much delicious food coming your way. Make sure you are subscribed. Search for Recipe of the Day wherever you listen to podcasts and you will get a new episode every single day, two on Saturdays. That's how we roll here. I will put all the links to everything that I've talked about in the show today in the podcast notes for this episode. And you can also head to cookthestory.com slash ROTD and find out more there and our Facebook group. Cookthestory.com slash group will magically whisk you over there. Click join. I cannot wait to see you in that group. I'm Christine Pittman from cookthestory.com, thecookful.com, the all new chicken cookbook. And from this podcast recipe of the day, have a great weekend. Let's get cooking.